Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. And I have two coaches with me. Claire, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, obviously just discussing my vintage addiction. <laughs> yeah, right. So this is a what, like an app that you sell secondhand clothes on? Yeah. I can't believe you've not you've not heard of it. <laughs> what do you really Inside think that's the kind of thing that I'm doing? Actually, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it, like, what? And it just gets sent to you. Is it just like eBay for clothes? Kind of, yeah. And I think whilst I've been sitting there for hours breastfeeding, I finally looked at it, and because like babies need outfits every three months, like a whole wardrobe. I'm like, I don't want to buy new stuff at all this. <laughs> So then I looked on there as well as Facebook Marketplace and then kind of got obsessed. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about Facebook Marketplace is it, don't you have to like people come to your house to pick it up? Yeah, but I've been that creepy person going to theirs. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. Me in a secluded area. <laughs> what, Andy? Me in a secluded area. <laughs> <laughs> um okay Andy how are you how has the fringe been so far that's it done finished done oh is it finished finished thank god I've loved it but I'm just ready to chill now or not have to do like three gigs a day that's kind of nice I was gonna (laughs) ask how many you were doing yeah I've done over 30 so I've done work work. but if you want to get good at something I imagine Um, so much better now than you were at the start of the month. Yeah, I think the difference between the start or the start of the month and now is like it's night and day. So yeah, it's um I've ended up doing quite a lot of um ended up doing quite a lot of MCing um for the gigs. Yeah. I, I got asked to do some sort of MCing for other people's stuff, which I've been really enjoying. So that's a little bit more like crowd work and stuff, which is great fun. So like just sort of pulling stuff out of the crowd and having a bit of fun with that. So that's been good. I've enjoyed it. I've always found some of the MCs to be actually funnier than the people on stage. So <laughs> I bet you do that. Much pressure on you. Yeah. You're there to do your materials. You can do so like I put some of my material through the sort of segments, but majority of it's actually just trying to get stuff out of the crowd, which is good fun. Because yeah. you can have a lot of fun with that stuff. So but three times a day trying to be funny for that long, that's tiring. Not even funny once a day. There are about three times a day. <laughs> So imagine what it's like trying to do it three times a day. It just doesn't work. <laughs> well, I don't know if you found this with speaking gigs, but I find this like every year I'm like, oh, I really want to get good at like public speaking. And then there will be like a period of the year where there are quite a few and you're like, oh, I'm in my flow. And then it's like six months of nothing. Whereas I feel like if you were put in the deep end, maybe three times a day might be quite a lot, but you know, yeah. like maybe three times a month. Yeah. <laughs> you'd actually get really good at it but it's almost like you do a bit of it and then you're out of the routine of it yeah I I definitely think so and I get a little bit more nervous going on to talk as well as even with teaching if I've not taught the whole summer the first class back I'm like oh can I can I talk about this still is it still in my brain oh Oh my god yesterday I was writing a talk on menopause for IFS and I was like looking at some of my old talks because I've maybe done like five on menopause from like different angles. And some of it I was reading and I was like, I don't know this information. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've written it. 
it's so strange isn't it it is like what what you forget definitely and it's like some people keep saying like so I like revisiting courses and there's some people that keep in like the fitness industry that say oh you if you if you, you know it now you don't need to go back and like learn about this and this and this like you know all of this stuff about your job about the sport about snc or whatever and i'm like yeah but sometimes going back and doing another course and doing like you it re- like refreshes you like because i definitely forget everything like <laughs> um even exercise i don't know if you get this as well when you're programming and then you program you use exercises for a while and then you look at a really old program you're like oh, i totally forgot about those exercises <laughs> yeah. used to always program that and now yeah. i just never do it anymore <laughs> yeah Okay, right. I'm going to get on with questions because we have many. Um, quickly, how were final check-ins on last intake of Commit Six? Let Andy go. Hey, oh, good, yeah, good. Um, lots of good feedback, which is what we like. It means that people have been getting results, and I think um, I think lots of uh, mindset shifts, which is massive. I think that's that's for me. That's the most important. Like for. I think as coaches, you know, seeing results on the scale is great if that's what people are looking for. But there are so many more progress markers than just the scales, uh, including obviously mindset shifts. Um, scales are also the one that gets everybody on everybody's nerves the most because a lot of the time they don't move, but they don't see the other progress markers because they're so um, they're so dictated by scale weight so seeing people who are now no longer using scale weight as their number one progress marker makes for me like that's that makes it yeah I agree um one of the check I think I sent this to you guys yeah I've not posted it yet um it was one girl talking about how she'd be constantly named like big boned and like you know or she can eat all that and she can do all that like all all those kind of negative which you know it's maybe light-hearted comments but when it keeps repeated you know when they're repeated over and over to you you start to believe that that's who you are forever and then she kind of talked about how this has made her see that she's she doesn't have to be that person and she can make a change and she can do what she wants with her body and that made me feel really happy reading that. I think there's quite a few like that, to be honest, like the mindset of I never believed I could do anything before and I thought it would always be really hard. And um, then coming out the other end, whether it was a good result on the scale or they didn't see as much as they wanted, like that didn't matter to them. Like they were just so happy that they felt like they were enjoying their walks, like eating better and being mindful when they were going out and all of this it just it was really nice to read mm-hmm. there's definitely been a few who are like and I guess this is what we love about commit six so like I've literally spent my whole life yo-yo dieting and now I believe that I can make these changes without over restriction and, and I am actually possible like I am actually capable of doing that um what was I going to say about what you just said do you know why I'm a little bit distracted because Andy are you drinking a drink that that has wham on it it is disgusting I got, I got tricked by that as well and i was like this is the most vile drink i've ever had what is it it's wham like water that's meant to taste like wham but it doesn't taste like a wham it just tastes what is wham? like uh, a wham bar oh. <laughs> it's water it doesn't taste of water it's got a flavor to it i'm really not that bothered 
Uh, I'm, staying, I'm staying hydrated. I'm waiting it's until you not try Mac B. It's not Mac B, but it's also about a, th- a quarter of the price. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Mac B is like 69p and this is like 29p. Exactly. What's Mac B? It's a cost of living crisis. What are you talking about? Why do I not know any of these things? You what don't know that? what Mac B is. It's like the best flavoured water ever. You don't get it in England. That's why. Uh, Stock up when you come back up for a visit. Okay. Yeah. I'll get you something in your back, babe. I'll bring you down. Okay, right. <laughs> First question. I have PCOS and I hear a lot about insulin resistance, but I have no idea what this means. Please, can you explain it and how best to manage it from a nutrition perspective? Um, I did actually post the talk that I did for EIQ on glucose management in the group so you all have access to that now if you're on commit to six if you're not you don't so you should sign up (laughs) you've got like the full breakdown of exactly this but I'll give like the high level answer here as well so insulin resistance often but not always comes with PCOS and essentially what it means is that you become less sensitive to the presence of insulin so the role of insulin primarily is to open up cells so that you can safely store glucose in that cell or excess energy in that cell. And what happens when you become less sensitive to that, or you have insulin resistance, which is all a bit of a spectrum anyway, but if you're more insulin resistant, then you need more and more insulin to clear the same amount of blood glucose. Now, when you get to the point that you can't produce enough insulin to, to safely clear blood glucose levels, that's when you start to get chronic elevations in glucose levels. And that's why you're more predisposed to having type two diabetes, which is, which would be this like chronic elevation in glucose levels. And then how you mitigate that from a nutrition and exercise point of view, the nutrition side is largely more to do what for the vast majority of people, if we take PCOS aside, it's more an energy management issue right? So actually you don't really need to worry about eating carbs or not eating carbs. It's much more to do with the amount of excess energy that's trying to be stored. So basically you need to eat in line with your energy demands, or if you want to lose fat, obviously eat in a deficit. With PCOS, I think it's one of the only situations where I would probably be like, you actually might need to look at your carbs a little bit and potentially have slightly less carb, like carb heavy meals. I would try and focus most of your carb intake on fruit and veg. Um, There's also a supplement called inositol, which may help increase insulin sensitivity slightly. And then exercise has a huge potent um, impact. And that's because exercise can independently clear blood glucose levels without the need for insulin. Um, And also increases insulin sensitivity for like the longer term period of time especially things like hit training and resistance training also building the amount of muscle that you have because muscle is your biggest site of glucose disposal so all those things are important and then there's another but i do go into this in much more detail in the video that i posted um and then the next question is i'm curious as to how we know if we have insulin resistance or not now as i've kind of mentioned already like it is a spectrum so it's not like you are insulin resistant, you are not, right? It's that you're more or less sensitive. Saying that most people, like doctors generally don't test for insulin resistance. There is a test you can do. Um, 
but it like most people wouldn't do that what they normally look at is either your hba1c which is like your average glucose levels over time or um your fasting glucose or what would probably be even better would be like uh, a two-hour glucose tolerance test so basically they give you a certain amount of glucose and see how long it takes you to clear it because it's not so much um the insulin resistance well I guess it is the insulin resistance that they're looking for but they're more looking at how you can handle glucose as a measure of that now on a practical level like do you need to worry about this if you're not having symptoms no and like I think a lot of there used to be a lot of chat in the fitness industry of like if you store body fat on your lower back that means you're insulin resistant or if you store fat like behind your arms that means you're insulin resistant and you need to buy this certain holoquin supplement or blah 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 like it's really not as simple as that and it's not something I would worry about I'd worry more about the behaviors that you should be doing anyway that are going to increase insulin sensitivity right like exercising frequently like making sure you're not eating too much energy and to be honest those two things for most people and when I say most people, I mean like 99% of people who don't, who are healthy, don't have type 2 diabetes, they don't need to worry about anything else. Um, so that would be my thoughts on that. Does anyone have anything to add on insulin resistance? No, I think you're pretty thorough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Um, I'm going to go to Claire with this one because I think she might be the only one that drinks. Is it better to drink? Oh. <laughs> Do you drink at all? No. No, I do, but just, yeah. I just found that. Oh, that's what targeted. I just know that you like a glass of wine. I do. Um, is it better to drink non-alcoholic stuff, e.g. alcohol-free beer, or is it just preference? Is the problem with alcohol the impact on sleep? Um, equally less issues with eating slash performance, or does it actually do something more? As I think what she's asking is like, does alcohol stop you losing fat in a way that's like more than just the fact that you might not sleep as well and there's calories in it yeah I think so there's a few things like I think that could maybe be brought up there she did also say about sleep and everything and you know since having Tommy and not drinking for ages and now I still don't drink much but I have like a glass of wine when I want to like just have to make sure I don't feed him for a couple of hours um since I started to have those one few glasses of wines my sleep after that was actually like create like it's bad again <laughs> like my sleep got so good over pregnancy without caffeine and alcohol and mm -hmm. I was like and then more recently I've had a few bad nights again and I was like is that one of those like so I tried to do like a little, like I've not been having caffeine. So I had decaf the whole, I've been having decaf ever since. And I experimented with, okay, today I'm going to have a coffee, see what happens. And my sleep was awful. That was even like before midday. And then um, I did the same with wine. And yes, I drink a glass at night. So it's very close to my sleep. So I haven't experimented with like during the day. But I, don't know if I, should. <laughs> I don't know if I should day drink. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah like that definitely affected my sleep again um I think you, you think you're in a deep sleep but you're actually I don't think you can 
hit your REM like sleeping cycle I think you stay in a really light sleep um but apart from that that, interesting because a lot of people are like oh no alcohol is really good for my sleep in fact I can't sleep without it and then they they drink before they go to bed but actually it's that you fall asleep quickly but then like you say you don't have a particularly like sleep quality isn't as good um and I think in terms of like choosing alcohol free versus uh actual alcohol like I've obviously had some of these over pregnancy and I didn't really like any of them I think (laughs) the non-alcoholic Proseccos were quite nice but it's just like a fizzy juice (laughs) so would actually just a tango be better yeah exactly like I think they're very much preference and I think some of it is that psychological kind of I'm holding a glass like of wine but yeah I, I've not become a fan of many of them even like the gins like I, I don't know I'm not really a big fan so that might be good for some people because I, I do know some people who are like completely non-drinkers and they do like those alcohol-free um options but I think yeah what was the other part of that I think it's really just what yeah what's the impact of alcohol I guess that so there is the sleep impact it can definitely impact your food choices it can definitely make you feel pretty rubbish the next there is an element of impact on performance especially if you like I don't know train after work and then you go out for drinks there is like a dampened response to muscle protein synthesis like you're looking at like quite small impacts here but like it's certainly not a good thing to be doing training response um so maybe the non-alcoholic version is better I kind of agree with Claire like I've not tried loads of them but I don't know I find and I know Andy's the same I find not drinking pretty easy so like I don't feel the need to have like a fake beer I just have a normal drink that doesn't have alcohol I was found with for me I never liked to take I didn't like how I felt like the next day and let's be honest you never make the best choices when you're feeling rough you end up eating the dominoes rather you're not your hangover food's never a chicken salad put it that way um, but I never really liked the taste of alcohol, so then to put something in that actually that is a non-alcoholic version for me just doesn't make sense. I, yeah. I can't think the folk are like, oh yeah, Guinness Zero is great. I'm like, yeah, but Guinness tastes like shit anyway. Why the hell am I wanting the alcohol-free version that obviously still tastes like shit? Like I'm not interested in it. So for me, it's yeah, I'm as Emma said, like I find it really easy not to drink. Um, I was out, I was out pretty late last night after my last friend's show, and like. Pepsi Max for me suits nicely. It's all good. Um, yeah, no, I'm all good. I don't need. To... I think a lot of it as well is not. I think a lot of people still think it's peer pressure. Um, oh, you know, people judge me. Well, who fucking cares? Like, if they judge you, they're not your friends, and thinks of your friends. Yeah, I think it gets easier the longer you've done it as well, doesn't it? Because like, I know when I prepped, and <laughs> uh, obviously I didn't drink. But also when I rode, I didn't drink much when I was in Canada because basically in Canada if you were found drinking you were cut off the varsity team so we had yeah so we didn't I didn't really drink much over there either and it does become easier as well I think once it becomes your lifestyle and you know why you're doing it it definitely becomes easier and the more people that you hang around that are just like oh do you want a drink oh no I'm not drinking okay fine like 
instead of like oh have one make sure you have like I don't know I think it was harder at uni for yeah. me but I think then it's... I'm very stubborn so I was just like no I'm not yeah. thinking but it was there was definitely more like friction there yeah. people around you definitely make a big a big difference in that one like I stopped drinking at 18 and I'd started working as a bouncer which is like the guys would go out for drinks after work and stuff so but I was really lucky the guys that but guys are good mates like folk would be like do you want a drink and they'd be like don't bother asking me this drink just leave them alone <laughs> folks just folk answer for you you're like no, I do want a Pepsi Max no that. just get my Pepsi Max he's not drinking what he doesn't drink I don't, I don't bother we've all we've all had discussion with them it's cool so yeah friend the, the, the people that you the people that you socialise with make a big difference to that as well that they don't make you feel different they just treat mm. you as this I think it's more and more common now and actually probably not particularly for good reason. Like, as in, I think so many younger people have had like proper issues with alcohol that they're like, no, I don't drink because it's yeah. really bad for me to do that. And so I think there is less pushback now whether like people think that I'm an alcoholic because I don't drink. I don't know. I think there's a big um, mental health shift as well. Like that has become a lot more like vocal you know like just in general like talking mm-hmm. about mental health and I think the effects that alcohol has on that I think that has been a big shift for people not drinking as well as the mental health benefits yeah well, I think it's it always... such a strange like social norm as well because yeah. I think it was Chris Williamson that said this once on like a podcast or something he was like it's the only drug that you will push on people and that you're the weirdo for not taking and like yep. it's like a, it, it makes you feel shit it's a toxin in your body we know for a fact it's carcinogenic right and then you have all these arguments with people about like oh like I remember going for for dinner I can say this now because it's my brother's ex-girlfriend but when for dinner, <laughs> like, family like my brother's ex-girlfriend was there and she and fine like I didn't judge she smokes and was drinking a glass of wine fine and then when I ordered a diet coke she was like oh I didn't think you would order like I didn't think you would drink that like as in it's full of like toxins um, and stuff and you're like one you're, of those you're doing the two things that we know I mean obviously I was just like Haha. but in my head I was like are you mad like as if that's normal in society to be like oh yeah everybody drinks what were you but like <laughs> I just ignored it obviously <laughs> sorry I didn't hear you um <laughs> I mean, fortunately, she's no longer. She's gone. She's gone. It's fine. <laughs> right. Okay. Next question. <clears throat> um, hunger versus boredom. Discuss. Hmm. Interesting. Hunger. I, I. I am the ultimate boredom eater. I will. I'll be put my hand up and say that. Like, if I'm at home, say if like Laura was away two weeks ago, she was way up north with her dad and her stepmom to do some just a bit. Of, bit of chill time we were both supposed to go up but the dog had an operation so I ended up staying at home and I am the ultimate boredom meter. if I've got nothing to do I will go and see what's in the cupboard and it's finding things to keep myself amused basically so for me it was writing stuff for my sets going and doing extra guest slots so like if someone was like oh do you fancy doing a guest slot rather than going nah I was like yeah I'll be get myself out of the house happy days um uh, things like I brought the Xbox back out actually while she was away just to keep myself keep myself switched on to something else um, but boredom is quite a big it's a big thing and I think a lot of it's about um, it's about finding ways to 
ways to kind of confront it and just find other things to do with other things to do because boredom boredom really does get to you it's like something that can really kind of itch you and for most people it's the same with like emotional stuff like most people's first trigger most people's first turning points of food it's the same with that's basically what happened all the way through your life cry here have something to eat or you're bored here there's a pack of sweets or something like that so we still do it and it's about trying to break that habit so habits are tough to break i think as well we're so unused to being bored now because yeah. you just pick up your phone or you just you know you you always think that you should have something to do and i think everyone would do better if they could sit with boredom like it, there is obviously right there's the like go and do something else but actually sometimes just sitting with boredom because we don't do that anymore like it kind of allows you to I mean for me anyway like I keep very busy with stuff so actually sitting being bored is probably quite a good thing for me now and again just to be like huh I actually forced to sit here with my own thoughts instead of being like oh just write a social media post or I'll just do a live or I'll just do something like there's always always something to do and you can, yeah, boredom me, like boredom scroll on Instagram, like boredom just kind of like do extra work, always be keeping yourself busy, which is one solution. But the other is to be like, I'm actually going to try and just sit with being bored and consider that. Uh, the other thing that is massive, and as Andy was talking, I realized this myself, is environment. When I'm at home, so like I have calls back to back this morning, which means I'm just going to stay at home and do them as opposed to work in a coffee shop. I always eat more, like considerably more, just because I'm sat right next to the kitchen and like, oh, well, after every call, I just have a little treat of something. And then you get in that routine. I know so many people work from home now that you really need to like curate your environment for that. So now I'm very aware that I do that. I'll put something else in between those times. Like, oh, what do I need to do in between those times? Or can I just go out and like walk around the back of my flat or something? And then you're not just immediately like, oh, I've got 15 minutes, which isn't really enough time to get my head into doing anything else productive. But it's definitely enough time to like go for the the extra snack that I don't need, but I'm just bored. So the first thing is realizing that you're doing it and then putting other things in. Or like if it's in the evening or something and you're like, you know what, I don't I don't actually want to go out and do a comedy show. Um <laughs> like the ability to kind of like sit with the boredom and be like okay maybe now's a good time to like reflect on life generally and then the other thing I was going to say about hunger versus boredom this is a really obvious one but like think about the food choices that you're making like are you hungry to go and make a nice chicken and veg dinner if not then maybe you're just a bit bored right like if all you if you're like oh yeah I do want to eat something but actually what I really want is that like really easy to reach bag of crisps that's probably more boredom eating than it is like true hunger and then I had this really interesting discussion with someone on the post I did about calories on menus and one of someone's reply was like yeah I mean probably the best solution is people just actually learn to listen to their hunger and I was like (laughs) not really because your food choices impact your hunger right like when you go out for a meal if you just quote unquote listen to your hunger you will probably eat way over your calorie needs because the food's way more calorie dense because it's probably been cooked in more oil because the the chefs want it to taste nice as opposed to like be within a certain calorie range right 
I actually think broadly like eating to hunger isn't good advice ever like I don't think we are as humans are driven to eat to hunger levels anyway I think being more in touch with your hunger and being aware of when you're eating for reasons that are aside from hunger is important but I think like as a species we're driven to eat more than what we need because that was a survival mechanism so when people are like oh what you really need to do is just eat to hunger like we're not that tightly regulated that your hunger levels are directly related to how much energy you actually need and then like food choices come into that massively like there might be some correlation if you were like all, all I'm eating is like whole foods that aren't flavored that aren't moorish that aren't like particularly tasty like if you were eating like I don't know Oliver t- Twist like gruel then yeah maybe you would eat to hunger because you're certainly <laughs> not going to eat that for fun right but anything else that's actually like tastes quite good you're going to yeah. eat it because it tastes good not just you- because you're hungry have you read the hungry brain yes years yeah. ago yeah it's basically like I I didn't I've not finished what? it but I just remember the first yeah. part is that huh what who's the right who's the author again Stefan I can't remember the oh it's here <laughs> it is a very good book I would recommend it oh look I got like a quarter through. <laughs> I should probably look at it again. Yeah, Stefan. Oh yeah, Gianet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just that the first message I got from that was basically what you've said. So I think if anyone wants to read that book, it might help them. It's, it's like outsmarting the instincts that make us overeat, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and when you really think about it, like, of course there's all when when you know that you live in a obesogenic environment you are going to have to practice some self-restraint if you want to eat out if you want to enjoy different foods then yeah like there will have to be some kind of restraint around it and it is interesting like even talking about the calories on menus some people were like well you know what do you think about it being triggering for people with eating disorders and I was like "Well, well I think like a more interesting question is is avoiding triggers like the right solution for people with eating disorders or is that actually like getting to the point that you can deal with seeing the calorie density of a food a better and I get that there's like potentially an an in-between phase where someone's maybe going through recovery and that would be really triggering and like that is a real shame but I think to like to then be like well then no one should see it and you're almost like eating blind like the analogy I made is it's like going into a clothes shop with no labels on anything and being like okay we've got 100 pounds to buy or like going going for your Tesco food shop there's no prices on anything but you only have 100 pounds to buy like your family food for the week how like how the fuck do you know how to do that you don't right you're just just literally just guessing and with calories on menus it's kind of the same thing and that was the point I was making about the post I ca- I know a fair amount about like the calorie density of most foods. And I was like, what like I would have estimated like 400 calories less for that meal. Like it, it, some of it's still like really freaking surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think just having the not like just having the knowledge is useful. I think so. Because it's definitely when I've looked at menus and something that I would usually get is like 1500 calories. I'm like, wait, what? How? How? <laughs> 
yeah and then you're always like oh that can't have been that much and then wow that's over half my needs for the day yeah gone yeah okay um next question um thoughts on weight loss drugs anyone thought um i think as a last resort for some people they are useful when administered by a doctor and everything else has been tried before my um reservation about that i mean i have many but one of the main ones is as an example of this i had a one-to-one client recently who came to me and she was like this is my last resort if if i'm going to give it a year so she you know very sensible about it. it wasn't like i'm giving it six weeks she was like i'm gonna give it a whole year but if i've not managed to lose the weight i'm gonna get a gastric band and i was like okay fine let's do it and honestly and she felt like she had tried everything and like she listed off all these things she's like I've been trying my whole adult life to lose weight she had never been listened to no one had ever been like what's your life like what are your preferences like what food what changes do you think you could make like could we get those steps up here's how you might want to do that here's an exercise regime that actually fits you for where you are because actually getting someone who's very overweight I don't know to jump around in their living room like isn't particularly enjoyable but maybe getting them to do like some movement to ease them in and then increasing that as they lose weight and get fitter is a much better approach right all this stuff is so basic and to think that someone would be like the only option I have left is a gastric band and actually what they've never had is like any level of support at all that's what worries me and it's same with these drugs like I think people can feel like they've tried everything and not got results but they've never just had someone that's like I'm going to listen to you and then we're going to make a plan that is actually doable for you. And then I'm going to support you and hold you accountable like that. And it's so simple, but like that, that's what most people need, not some magic drug or some gastric band or even like some really extreme diet because they feel like nothing else has worked. So that must, you know, they must have something wrong and maybe they need to cut out all carbs or go keto or whatever like extreme thing it is. So that that concerns me a bit but I also think for some people especially very overweight people especially the drugs that work via um uh, like appetite suppressant can be very useful because their appetite is dysregulated so what often happens with very overweight people is that the leptin signaling is kind of like what we spoke about with insulin resistance like you have this leptin resistance which means that your brain isn't really hearing that there's so much energy available, i.e. there's so much fat stores available. So you're still driven to eat a lot of food. And that can be really hard, right? Like if you're dieting, but your brain thinks you're starving, so you're driven to eat a lot of food, but you're trying to eat less, that's a very hard position to be in. Whereas if these drugs can kind of reduce your hunger, allowing you to stick to your diet, and then what happens when you lose weight is you become more sensitive to leptin again, then actually maybe they can be very useful for that kind of like period of time to get from very overweight to like a little bit of a healthier weight range where you are more sensitive to your hunger signals. So for me, it's definitely not like a yes or no. It's yes in some circumstances for the right individual, but the way that they're used at the moment, I don't think is healthy, like celebrities and stuff taking them. Yeah. I was going to say like seeing it all over social media isn't a very healthy I think 
promotion at all because it makes I think everybody just think it's the first option rather than the last medical option. I think it's also as well the fact that you've got a bunch of excuse me, fucking uneducated wankers on social media selling stuff that they have no fucking idea what it is or what it does or why it does what it does and the whole point of this is like something like that should become be prescribed by a GP, not some fucking idiot in a fucking sunbed, um, a sunbed shop. Like, if you're getting fat loss drugs from someone that works in a sunbed shop, can just just stop. Like, don't. That's just bollocks. Like, mm-hmm. that's just. I think that's for me is always. Kind Remember of- that the sunbed shops used to have those? Um, oh, they had like power plates that would jiggle yeah. the. Fat- Oh yeah. Shake yeah. the off and then get a tan. <laughs> Quality. Yeah, nice. yeah, the one down the road from me used to have that. And it was like whatever for like 30 minutes or just for, like vibrating. Uh, but they were just like the power plates that used to get at like Virgin Active. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Virgin Active. Claire, do you know they were originally d- developed for astronauts? Yep. Oh. And bone yeah. density for going into space. Yeah. And does it work for bone density? Well, yeah, apparently, so so they so their studies suggest. I worked for yeah. her, and, and did a, you worked for them. Yeah, I, I wrote their training manual. So the did you? Manual, oh my manual god! Manual got caught on. I wrote for them. So ah. there you go. A little bit of knowledge for you. Now, <laughs> it's the, my biggest issue with well, it. We all make mistakes, Andy. They're fantastic for stretching, and they're fantastic for massage and stuff like blood flow, because that's basically yeah. what. They do. But. Um, it was when they started trying to tell people that that's all we needed to do. I was like, I'm fucking out. I'm done. See you later. Well, I thought the whole claim was like, oh, if you're doing a squat, you know, you might recruit some muscle, but if you're doing a squat while you're vibrating, like you'll recruit like way more muscle. Basically, that's what they're claiming. That's what their claims were. I felt very sick on them. I felt, yeah, my head felt weird. I didn't mind putting you know, like calf massage. Yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. massage is nice. Yeah. It's a very yeah. expensive calf massage. <laughs> Absolutely. But getting back, getting back to the question, um, I think a lot of it is just down to the fact that, you know, it's the regulation of this kind of stuff. Like there are certain things that certain things that GPs need to take a lead with this kind of stuff because that's not in anybody else's wheelhouse because it is a medicated drug. It is something that should be regulated. Um, yeah, it's it, it's exact, exactly as you said, Emma, it's, it's horses for corpses. There'll be some people that will that will need that or will that will work for them, but in others, it's still, they're still not anywhere near the last resort for them to try that. Um, and it's all about the support side of stuff, isn't it? It's about having someone to fight. I, I'm, ba- I'm basically writing a post about that. As my post for today is exactly that, is the, the, the coaching element is so important because you're here to support the person. You're you're an outside eye that has no, like, we're here to help you. And basically, we're not here to, we're not here to butter it up. We're here to tell you black and white and tell you what you need to do. But you have the support there and you've got the accountability to someone else. And that should be where people put their first in, their first efforts is kind of how I look at it. But yeah. Yeah. And then I think people forget as well, like it's not just that you take the drug and then magically lose fat. Like it's that it suppresses your appetite so you don't eat as much. Now, if you're eating because you're bored, 
then naturally the drug's not really going to help, right? Like if, yeah. if you don't actually have like a heightened appetite, it's probably not that beneficial. And same with like people out eat their gastric sleeve because yeah. they're overeating because they were hungry. They were overeating because of emotional reasons yeah. or bored or it's the only way they knew how to deal with things and stress and whatever. Like, and they don't change their behaviors. Yeah. Like, it's not as if you can take the pill or get the band and boom like it's you need to think I think some people think oh you do that and then you can eat whatever you want and yeah. it's like, kind of but you'll like the idea is you'll want to eat less but that's only if you were eating because you were very hungry right or like that was like a physiological drive for you um okay right uh question for claire what's the difference between a glute bridge and a hip thrust please i'll be right back yeah i always i'll be honest i've always got to rethink which one's which but i always say the glute hip thrust is going up and down the glute bridge is static yeah, yeah. but yeah. i do always have to remind myself when i'm programming uh which one but just think thrust is like an action word that's how i kind of remind myself and bridge is a static word yeah, very much so. That's me. I look. That's exactly how I. The analogy I use as well is that a thrust is a movement, a bridge. Yeah. Mm. Don't want your bridge moving, do you? No. Um, okay. I've been doing assisted pull-ups, which I'm enjoying, and doing fifty is still a struggle for the last twenty. But I'm thinking about how. I progress am I right that I should be lowering the weight as I progress and not putting it on a heavier weight yeah so with the assisted pull-up it's basically acting as a pulley so weirdly like one of the only machines where the heavier the weight the easier it is because you're lifting more of your body weight the less weight you have on the other side of the pulley um and then she says p.s what does a chipper workout mean is it a scottish word down south it means happy <laughs> Or is it just a workout that puts a smile on your face? Not sure how I'd feel, especially after 50 birthdays. <laughs> um, no, so chipper, I think, comes from, like, CrossFit people use it, don't they? Where basically, you're chipping away at it. So, like, if if the workout you're talking about, I think, is, like, the five reps, sorry, the five sets of, the five exercises that you do 50 reps for. But the point of, like, the chipper is that you probably won't do that in one set, right? Like, that you're chipping away and you're just doing as much as you can and taking little breaks and then chipping away again. I think that's what it is. Now I'm like, is that right? That I've sounds, not heard that before. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, who wrote Chipper? Was it me? <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> I thought I thought it was Andy. No. no. Or unless uh, I put something in that I have no idea what the hell I put in. But... Well, she did put, thanks for the gym workouts, Andy. I really right. enjoyed having new workouts. Oh, right. No, actually, sorry. I wrote these workouts. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What the fuck <laughs> okay. Um, right. Strategies to navigate the dip, as in the dip in motivation. I need to read that book. So good. So, so good. What is, see, this is, I, I, this is something I tell people all the time. Motivation. Motivation. Motivation is an end product. It's not the start. 
So unfortunately, motivation doesn't motivation isn't going to get you up to go and do the stuff to get the results. Yeah, keeps you doing that, but you need to put in the hard work, tick off the boxes, do everything that is mundane, all the boring habitual tasks of your steps, your training, your calories, your protein, get them all ticked off. And when you start getting results, that's where the motivation comes in and it keeps you moving forward. Sometimes it basically comes down to pulling on your adult pants and just getting shit done. Like, yes, it can be monotonous, but that's how you get results. Like, st- continuously doing, continuously chipping away, um, continuously chipping away at stuff. And regardless of you, you know, this is the thing, like, things like plateaus as well. People are like, oh, you know, I've plateaued. No, you, your weight's... Your weight's been static for four fucking days and you're making progress. You're starting, you're lifting heavier. That's not a plateau. You've got to look at other things, but you have to continuously keep doing things over and over again. And once you get those results, that's where motivation comes. People think, people think like, for instance, starting up for, if you're signing up for Commit to Six, people like, oh, I'm so motivated. No, no, no. You're ready and you're excited to do it. That's a different type of motivation. That's a motivation of something new and fresh and you're, you've got some structure. But when it, the chips are down, <laughs> using the word chips again, when the chips are down and you are starting to feel like you're starting to lag, that's where self-discipline comes in. It's the getting shit done regardless of what's happening in your day, regardless of how boring you think those tasks are. If you get them done, you will get results. That's where motivation comes from. Um, and I think people... Well, are, even sometimes it doesn't, you know, like sometimes yeah. you do get results and you're still not motivated, but you still need Absolutely. to do it. You know? yeah. And like, I think the discipline thing is really important. And I heard someone, like I didn't like the full quote, but I heard someone say, I think it was just like an Instagram thing the other day, like, discipline is freedom and then she went off on to say something else but but I do actually agree with that part of like discipline is freedom because essentially it's the whole thing about I always talk about making a promise to yourself and then trusting yourself that you're going to do it right that kind of gives you freedom because you know you're showing up for yourself you know that you are actually going to do the things that you said you were going to do and that's like that initial promise to yourself. This is why, so for the next round, we've set everybody range targets. So like your your promise to yourself is like, I'm going to stay within that range, right? I'm not going to set unrealistic targets where I'm like, I'm going to stick to 1600 calories every day for the rest of my life. Like it's not going to happen, nor do we want it to happen. That'd be very, very boring. But I'm going to stick to this range so that the minimum, like I don't think there's been a day aside from back surgery in like, the last like five years where or like if I've had a migraine or you know like something completely out of the blue where I haven't done 8,000 steps like even if I've been traveling because that's like a non-negotiable minimum standard that I set to myself is I'll always do that and if I haven't I'll go for a walk around the block or I'll walk around the flat or I'll do something to get that in because that is a health standard I have of myself so but it's very much doable right like most days I would do that without even thinking about it so I've not been like I'm gonna get 20,000 steps a day no matter what and then it's like freaking miserable like it has to be realistic but I think if you keep ticking those boxes and you hold yourself accountable to it like I've made a promise to myself that I will do that the really important thing here is you can't start making ridiculous promises to yourself because then none of them matter right it's like you lose complete trust in yourself it's like your friend who always says they're going to show up and they never do. And then you're like, oh, I've got plans on Friday, but like, 
we always cancel so you they're not really plans anymore it's the same with yourself it's like oh I said I'd go to the gym on Friday but like I already know I'm not going to go whereas if you're someone who's like I've said I'm going to do it so I'm going to do it then it takes away all that like fluff of like it's negotiating with yourself that's actually the fatiguing part like getting to the gym and doing the reps and doing the work and hitting your targets that's not as hard as like people make it out to be when they're always negotiating in their head of like will I have this or will I do that or will I not go to the gym or what if I miss this and then it's the stress and anxiety of it that kind of like builds up so I think setting a realistic targets and just sticking to them and knowing that you've got this like optimal level maybe my optimal is I'm going to hit 12,000 steps a day but my minimum is I'm going to hit eight and I know that eight is going to keep me like ticking over moving forward keep me healthy right so on the days where I am having a bit of a dip okay, cool, I'm still going to hit that minimum target. So I'm certainly not going backwards. And then the other thing to remember about the dip is you come up the other side. So if you've not read the dip, like the reason that Seth Godin talks about this so much is the realize that like when you've asked the question here of like tips of through, about getting through the dip, understand what it is would be my first tip. Like his whole book isn't really about solutions to the dip. It's just like observe this so that you can see it in your own life. And like a lot of his examples are like, I don't know, going snowboarding at the start is really fun. And then you've got this shit phase where you're you're actually not really good enough to go on any of the fun slopes, but you're not a beginner yet. So it's not fun and new. And you're just kind of in the middle ground. That's the dip. Right. And then if you push through that, you actually get pretty good. And then you can go and do the fun stuff and you're pretty confident and it feels good. Like playing the piano, whatever, like whatever you're learning, like learning a language, it's like, learning your first 10 words is quite fun because you're like oh cool I can say hello and goodbye and like good day and whatever and then from there to like actually being able to have a conversation is boring as shit because you don't really know what's going on and it's a hell of a lot of hard work and then once you're fluent like the other side of the dip you're like oh this is great I'd like to learn a bit more but you need to get through that like to get good at anything you need to get through that and I think that's the main realization same with like scale weight I said this to a client this week so I'm a bit disappointed that the scales haven't dropped this week. I'm like, if you give up every time the scale weight doesn't drop, you will never, ever, ever get results. And that's like, nothing needs to change here. Just your headspace of, okay, fine, move on. And if you give up every time you're not motivated, you'll never get results. End of. So then you need to change that. It's a bit leaning into it, isn't it? Like you can, if you get the dip and then you go, oh no, just shy away from it. Well, nothing's going to change. If you lean into it and and move into it and understand it you're going to come out the other side and it's going to be everything will start to get through probably it's a little bit similar to what I've been doing with com- the comedy stuff like it's a bit more in term of like gig to gig so one gig I had three gigs in it one night the 2.30 one in the afternoon brilliant really receptive crowd went really well it was about 150 people it was it was a real it was a proper buzz and I did one at half past six and it was fucking awful. And I was like, I don't want to do the third gig. I was like, no, I want to do the third gig because I need to get that cleared out of my system. I need to lean into this and drive it through. And it could have been quite easy for me just to go, no, I'm not doing the next gig. I'll just fucking, I'll just jack it. But like, I, A, I'm not built like that. Uh, probably uh, I would have let myself down by leaning away from it. So fuck it, lean into it. What's the worst that can happen? Come out and I did a gig at eight, eight o'clock and fucking smashed it. So, like, 
it is what it is. Like you've got to there, you've got to go through uncomfortable to get to where you want to be. That's just that's just life, unfortunately. I always think as well, like obviously the journey is really the main part of it, but just reminding yourself again, like why you're here, why you want it, like you know, the bigger picture, like reminding yourself of that when you feel a little bit down because that always definitely helps me like not all the time but it definitely is like a tactic I think that's a quite important one or even give up then yeah <laughs> like but that's definitely not going to get you results mm. like it's like the weird psychology and I understand the psychology and I'm certainly susceptible to it myself but if you're like oh the scales haven't dropped I'm just going to give up well then the scales definitely won't drop like if there's one thing yeah. you're sure of if you're not losing fat and then you think well screw it I'm just going to give up on my diet then you definitely, definitely. right and same with sometimes when you're like oh I could really do with just giving up like actually sometimes just telling right okay well let's play this through I know I definitely want that outcome I know I want to feel my best I know I want to get lean out I know I want to build some muscle and to be honest I know I need to do all these things anyway to live a healthy life yeah so there isn't like and then you kind of take the choice away which is what I was talking about it's like I need to do those steps I need to go to the gym three times a week or at least exercise three times a week whatever that looks like doesn't have to be the gym I need to eat well so even if I'm like I'm not really motivated to do this at the moment like well do you want to be healthy yeah so like it doesn't really matter if you're motivated or not like you have to do it anyway um okay right I'll do one more because I have a call in three minutes should we be eating some protein straight after a workout and if so is it to help recovery I usually work out but then don't eat after for another two to three hours would it be better to have a protein shake and snack afterwards for some people that probably doesn't matter now I'm a little bit more careful with what I say here now um because I know and I know this individual falls into this category. So many of our clients are now peri or postmenopausal women. Now, as you age and as you go through menopause and as men's testosterone levels drop, you have what's termed like anabolic resistance. And again, this is quite similar to like insulin resistance and the leptin resistance we've been talking about. So it's not like you have it. It's like it's a spectrum, right? So you become slightly less sensitive to the anabolic response of exercise and of protein. And this is interestingly where all of the research from the studies that showed that you needed to have protein within this short period of after exercise came from, right? It was a study on older men who either had protein straight after a workout or like four or five hours later. And they showed that and like protein synthesis rates after exercise, if they had the protein were higher than if they delayed it. And that's because for those individuals, that anabolic response has a shorter window because they've got this like reduced anabolic response to exercise and protein. So for you asking this question, Maria, yeah, I probably would try and get in a protein shake within an hour or two. Like I wouldn't be overly stressed about it, but like if you can and it's not a big deal, I would be doing that. Yeah, and then you can still have your your dinner or whatever you're having like two or three hours later. Just yeah. make sure it's not added and it's within your calories. Yeah, keep it within calories. But yeah, if you can move your like meals around for the day and make sure that you can get that in closer to the workout or even if you have your dinner earlier or whatever, then it's probably a good idea. 
all right then. Okay, thank you both for your brilliant brains. If you are thinking of signing up to the next intake of Commit to Six, you don't have very long. So head over to esgfitness.co.uk forward slash Commit to Six if you want to talk to me before, fill in the application form, give me a little bit of information about you and I will email you. And that's all. Bye.